right, well, if you're uh, if you got a Bible this morning, would you open to Luke chapter 22 uh, this morning? We've we've actually been teaching through the book of Revelation, but we took a break uh, for Easter. Uh, and then this week, and then next week, of course, is Mother's Day. So we won't pick back up in our Revelation study until after Mother's Day. This morning, uh, I'm going to just kind of preach a standalone message uh, called, I am ready. Really? I'm ready. And the question is, really, are, are we ready? As we look at Luke chapter 22, we're going to look at the life of Peter. And this morning, we're looking at, we're looking at four tests to determine our readiness for ministry. Let me just give you some context as we get to Luke 22. Uh, as, we, as we get into this chapter, we're near the end of the book of Luke. It's nearing the end of Christ's earthly ministry, uh, right before his crucifixion, where he died on the cross for our sin. The feast of the Passover in verse 1 is at hand. We know that in the, in the verses, verses 3 to 6, that as he's sitting at the table uh, with his disciples, Satan enters into Judas and, and the betrayal is now commenced. Uh, Jesus goes through the whole Passover meal with his disciples. He does the famous passage on, this is my body, which is given for you. This is my cup of the New Testament, which is shed for you. Uh, and so all of that's happening. And then and what's interesting is in the midst of all that conversation, I mean, Christ is trying to help his disciples understand, look, this is it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the cross. I'm dying for the sins of the world. I'm going to be betrayed by one of you. In the midst of all that conversation, by the way, that's heavy conversation, right? Those are heavy things that Christ is discussing. In the midst of all that, in verses 24 to 30, the disciples begin to argue over which one of them are the greatest. I mean, in Christ's most, most trying moments leading up to the garden and leading up to the cross, the disciples are arguing over who's the greatest. By the way, Jesus had promised that in his kingdom, those 12 apostles would sit on 12 thrones. And so they were jockeying for, for the number one throne, so to speak. And so, so all of this stuff is going on, man. This is a very critical moment in Christ's life and ministry. It's also a critical moment in the disciples' life in ministry. And right out of nowhere, we're going to pick up the passage in verse 31, because right out of, right out of nowhere, in the midst of betrayal, in the midst of argument and carnality, in the midst of Christ sharing his heart with these men, he looks over to Peter, verse 31, Luke 22, verse 31, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren, verse 33. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. This is a powerful passage we'll look at this morning. Let's pray and ask God to teach us. Father, we love you. Thank you for everything that we've heard and experienced today so far. Thank you for the time of worship. Thank you for the time of, of singing songs that reflect your goodness and character and your word back to you, that we can claim the promises of God in those songs. Thank you for Justin and Mandy being here, God. Thank you for uh, their faithfulness to you and to your word and to your ministry. Thank you for their fruit uh, Lord, that, that they are investing in and, and laboring in the field of Zambia, Africa. And, and God, thank you that we have a small part of that. It's just by your grace, Father. We're, we're, we're blown away. We're, we're humbled, uh, God, that you would use any of us to accomplish your ministry. And so, Lord, thank you for their testimony. And thank you for this church, God, and what it means to me. And I pray this morning, give us ears to hear what you have to say to us as a church. Lord, we need you to speak to us. And so, Lord, we humble ourselves before your word. We ask it in Christ's name. 
Amen. Well, this morning, uh, we're going to look at the life of Simon Peter. And listen, Simon was no slouch. He was the disciple of Christ. He's followed Christ at this point up to three and a half years in, in Christ's earthly, earthly ministry. He, he, he's not a guy that just hadn't seen some things that heard some things. As a matter of fact, he's, he's seen a lot of things. He's heard a lot of things. He's done a lot of things in ministry with Christ. And now he's letting the Lord know boldly, Lord, I want you to know I'm ready. Whenever you need me, Lord, whatever you need me to do, up to and including prison and death. And, and when I read this passage, I think about my life, and I think about the times in my life where I've been like Peter and said, man, I'm just ready. Put me in the game, coach, right? I, I remember I played basketball in high school, and, and man, there just came a point where I got tired of riding the pine. Put me in, coach. I'm ready. I've been at practice. I've been playing the game, and I got put in, and then I realized, oh, man, it's a little bit different on the court than it is on the bench. You know, it's a little bit different. The boys are a little bigger when they're in person than, than when you see them from the bench. Man, maybe you've been in church ministry. Maybe you've been in a church where, where you have things like discipleship and ministry training, and, and maybe you've told your leadership, hey, I'm ready. Put me in. Turn me loose and let me go. I mean, I mean I've been discipled, or I've been through ministry tools and training, or, or I've been through the Bible Institute. Listen, I've been a Christian for 20 years. Put me in because I'm ready. And listen, all those things are, are, are fine. But listen, the question is, are we really ready? Are we really ready? And so as I look at Peter's life, I think what we can conclude from this is there are four areas that Peter really had to determine and prove his readiness. And I think these four areas apply to my life as well as, it, as they do your life. And so let's look at them. Number one, we're going to look at the area or the test of spiritual warfare, because verse 31, when Christ speaks to Peter, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. And that ought to put the fear of God in, in Peter's life because Christ is literally telling Peter, man, the devil is after you. He's specifically after you. And, and, and so here's the key in your notes. Listen, we aren't truly ready for ministry until we realize that both Jesus and Satan are at work in our life. Man, you got to understand that principle this morning. You got to understand that, listen, as much as Christ wants to do a work in your life, and he does, there's an adversary, the devil, who is Satan. And listen, he is absolutely also actively working in your life where Christ wants to build you and mature you and use you. The devil wants to discourage you, defeat you and destroy you. And both are active in your life and in my life. And the truth is, we won't be ready to minister on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ until we realize there really is a spiritual battle that's raging. And the truth is, what's at stake is our life. That's what's at stake. And so listen, in verse 31, the Lord looked to Peter and he addresses him personally. Simon, Simon, I got something to tell you, bro. Like I'm sitting, I'm sitting here with all the disciples, but I got something to tell you. And, and, and listen, he, he kind of singled Simon Peter out, didn't he? I mean, he didn't really give that, that instruction to any of the other 11, but he very specifically told Peter, this is something you need to hear. And God gives us a principle of ministry in that, in that verse. Look at, look at the key in your notes. Being ready for ministry means that we're able to receive warnings from our spiritual leaders. Hello? I mean, do you have, listen, do you have an open ear? 
to receive warnings from the people that God has put in your life to bring truth to you and to speak God's word to you? Do you have an open ear to hear what God has to say to you through ministry leadership and spiritual leaders in the body of Christ? And some people don't. Well, when Jesus wants me to know, he'll tell me personally. Well, Jesus might just use a foolish preacher opening the word of God to tell you. You see, many times in our lives, we get to the point where we don't want to receive warning from anybody else but Jesus. But let me tell you, God uses his word authoritatively in every Christian's life. God wants us to have a ready ear to receive warning and instruction from his word. As a matter of fact, when you study Paul's life and Paul's ministry, Paul's ministry was a biblical preaching and teaching ministry, and biblical preaching and teaching is a warning ministry. Let me prove it to you. Acts 20 and verse 31. Paul says to the elders at Ephesus, therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul's ministry was a warning ministry. You say, well, I don't like that. Well, if there's danger that someone's trying to to illuminate and educate you on from the authority of God's word, why would you not like that? Because there's a warning. There's danger. Paul, when he addressed the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4, 4, verses 14 to 15, he says, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. And, And the Corinthians needed an ear to hear warning from their spiritual leader, and their spiritual leader was Paul. Paul established that church. When he addressed the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 14, he says, now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. And so listen, our readiness to minister has as much to do with our ability to heed warning as it does anything else. In other words, you'll never be a good minister, I'll never be a good minister, unless I have an ear to hear what spiritually-minded men have to say from God's Word to me. You're not going to be a good leader and tell other people what God says if you don't have an open ear to hear what God says through other men, through other leaders. And God calls him by name. Christ calls him Simon, Simon. Listen, that was his old name. That was his old name because in Mark chapter 3 and verse 16, Christ himself gave... Simon, a new name. It was Christ that called him Peter. He gave him a new name. And so when when he's addressing him as Simon, man, he's addressing his old name, his old man, because Simon, uh, Jesus is trying to get his attention. And, and, And so we know that Jesus warns Simon. And here's what he warned Simon about. Second, second blank in your notes is this. He warned Simon that Satan desired to sift him. He says, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. And listen, again, man, I know, I know some of you read the Bible and, and you may not just pause right there, but can I just, can I just tell you that if you heard that from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself about your life, here's two things that I know that that means. Number one, Satan knew who Peter was and that, that number two, Satan wanted to sift him as wheat. He wanted to destroy him. He wanted to rip the faith that he had in Christ 
right out of his life. And listen, on one hand, too many times we focus on the Lord working in our lives and we know that Christ is working, but many times we forget we have an adversary that is equally at work in our life. And when Christ says to Peter, listen, he wants to sift you as wheat, that, that sifting is a, is, a, is a separating process. That it's a separating process. You see, you see in, in agricultural times, a farmer would separate the corn of wheat from the chaff. He would, he would keep the grain, which was the good part of the wheat, but he would get rid of the chaff. And the way that he would do that is through a process of turbulence. The harvest of the wheat would happen. He would use an instrument to, to, to shake and to, to sift the wheat. The chaff would fall out and the good grain of the wheat would fall back into the basket. And Satan was desiring to remove Peter's faith. He, he was trying to destroy his faith. I mean, listen, wheat, again, agriculturally, wheat would get tossed in the air. The wind would carry away the chaff, but the grain would fall back to the ground or in the sieve, the instrument. And man, that's how the devil attacks us. That's how the devil wants to destroy us. It, it's a sifting process in our life. And here's the key. What is, what is the devil trying to sift out of Peter's life? He's trying to sift out his faith. He's trying to destroy his faith because that's, what, that's all any of us have to stand on. I mean, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We'll get to that in just a second. And what he wants to take out of Peter's heart is his belief in the final authority of God's word in his life. And man, that's the same way the devil wants to attack us. That's the same way he absolutely actively is working in our life. Some of you today fail to realize that Christ, number one, wants to save you from your sin. And at that same moment, as Christ wants to save you from your sin, there's an adversary that wants you to continue to reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. And some of you that are saved fail to realize that after you got saved, Christ is still wanting to work in your life. And you've, you've been ignorant to the fact that just as much as Christ wants to work, the devil is absolutely alive and well and an adversary to you. And he's stealing your faith in the finished final word of God to make you absolutely inactive and ineffective as a minister of Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing to Peter. And so what's the solution? Well, Christ, verse 32, prays for Peter. So look at verse 32. He says, but I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. Okay, well, listen, here's some encouraging news. Just as much as the devil is active, Christ is still active. And the thing that he does for Peter is pray for him. So there's power in prayer. There's power in prayer. Jesus Christ is our high priest. He makes intercession for us. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 24 to 25 say that Christ, he ever liveth to maketh intercession for us. He is our high priest. And so his prayer for Peter was, number, it was kind of twofold if you look at it. He had a present prayer for Peter that his faith wouldn't fail. I mean, that was the thing that, that Satan was trying to sift out of his life. And there's a lot of things in this life that'll fail. Our bodies are going to fail. This financial system that we're in, it's going to fail. Okay? Money's going to fail you. The economy will fail you. Your job will fail you. People will fail you. But the thing that doesn't have to fail is your faith. 
That doesn't have to fail. And so, and so Christ's prayer for Peter is, hey, men, listen, this is a big deal. The devil wants you personally. I'm praying for you that your faith doesn't fail. And then there's a second part of his prayer because he says, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. In other words, and, and again, there's a prophetic part of this prayer because in Acts chapter 2, Peter's going to be indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God on the day of Pentecost. But, but Peter's going to experience true conversion by being sealed with the Spirit of God. And his conversion is his call to ministry. And so he says, listen, when you're converted, feed your brethren the Word of God. You have a, a ministry to accomplish. And we know how the story goes, man. As, as, as we get closer to the cross, we know that Peter denied Christ three times. And we know after the resurrection, Christ made Peter profess his love to him three times. And in John chapter 21, all three times when, when Christ asked Peter after his resurrection, do you love me? And, and of course, Peter said, yeah, because he had to own his failure. Every time the Lord told Peter, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, because you have a present ministry that, that needs to be fulfilled. And so, and so if we want to be good ministers of Jesus Christ, number one, we have to pass the test of spiritual warfare. We have to come to Christ as Lord and Savior. We have to realize that after we're saved, there's still a battle for our heart and soul. There's a battle for the authority of God's word in our life. And the devil wants to destroy your faith. But we need to be encouraged that Christ is our intercessor. Christ is our intercessor. Prayer matters. Prayer is an effective ministry. And we'll talk more about that in just a second. That's the first test. Number two, we've got to learn to pass the test of pride. Peter struggled in this area. We struggle in this area. Look at verse 33, Luke twenty-two, thirty-three, 33. And he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, Jesus said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Oh, my goodness. I mean, we always, we always read the Bible and we look at Peter. We're like, man, speak first, think second, right? That's usually how it works. And we always criticize him for that. But the truth is, as Christians, many times we do that. We, we open our mouth first, we blurt it out first, and then we think about, man, that was probably dumb. And we can't catch it. <laughs> it's already out, right? So in Peter's life, he has a pride problem. And his pride caused him to utter some things that absolutely would not come to pass in his life. Christ says, listen, I'm telling you, Peter. He says, I tell thee, Peter. And so now Jesus is addressing him by his new name, not the old man and the old name, but his new name in Christ, Peter. And can you, can you imagine? I mean, Peter just told Jesus he's ready to go. And Jesus comes back with, uh, actually, no, bro, in less than 24 hours, you're going to deny me three times. <laughs> what? What? Remember that thing we talked about in the first point, receiving spiritual warning from spiritual leaders? Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear, well, hey, man, if you keep going down this road, you're going to mess up. Well, that's what, that's what Peter heard from the Lord himself. And so, and so the power of pride in our life is a devastating power. Get this key in your notes. Pride has an immediate effect in our life. I mean, Peter's just, just vocal about, man, I'm ready. I'm ready to go to prison. I'm, I'm ready even to die. 
Even I'll go to the cross with you, Christ. I'll, I'll, I'll be with you till the end. You know, pride cometh before the fall, right? Proverbs 16 and verse 18. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And in less than 24 hours, Peter's pride is going to cause him to fall. Now listen, everybody in this room fell in their relationship with Christ, right? Every one of us has fallen. And, and probably the majority of times that we've fallen is because of our own pride, thinking that we're more than who we think we are, thinking we can do more than what we think we can do. And so Proverbs 24 and verse 16 just tells us that even a just man falls seven times, but he rises up again. But the wicked shall fall into mischief. And, and so the point is, there is restoration after, after a fall, but we need to be warned that, man, pride has an immediate effect because Christ said to Peter, this day you're going to deny me. In less than 24 hours. Can you, I know they didn't have like smart watches back then, Apple watches, things like that. But, but when Christ said this day, I'm the kind of guy that would be like, okay, that's 24 hours, man. Oh, when am I going to mess up? When, am I, when, when, when is the opportunity going to arise for me to deny Christ? Man, pride, pride caused him to fall. Number two, pride is a sign of immaturity. It's a sign of spiritual immaturity. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 6 says that, that a minister, a bishop, can't be a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. You see, novices are prideful. Peter hasn't even made it to Pentecost yet, and he's sure that he's got it all figured out. Don't you like being around those type of people? I mean, I mean, listen, the people that have all the answers, listen, the, the, <laughs> the best experts, by the way, in Christianity in most churches, or at least in Huntsville, Alabama, are the Christians, the best experts are the people that, number one, can't show up on, on Sunday consistently for any amount of time. Number two, have never served in ministry. Number three, have never led anyone to Christ. Number four, have never discipled anyone, have never been consistent in any area of private or public ministry in their life. But they are sure of themselves. You know why? Because they tell you. Well, when they, when, when they start talking, it's obvious they're immature. Because pride is a sign of immaturity. Number three, pride is always an issue of the heart. When you cross-reference Luke 22 to Mark 14, same story. Peter said to him, to Christ, although all shall be offended, yet not I. And Jesus said, you tripping, bro. That's in the Greek if you study that out. Jesus said to him, verily, verily, I say to thee that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, you shall deny me thrice. But Peter, he spake the more vehemently, if I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise, also they all said. I mean, I mean, listen, you talk about a God that can't receive spiritual instruction and admonition. When Christ said, listen, tonight you're going to deny me, that would have been Peter's opportunity to receive instruction and repent. Instead, he doubled down. No, no, no. He, he, he spake more vehemently. I'm not going to deny you in any wise. <sighs> okay. 
Uh, so, so when he spake vehemently, what was on the inside came out, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, Mark chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Instead of heeding God's warning in his life, Peter doubled down on his arrogance. I'm not saying anybody in this room's ever done that. I'm just saying Peter did it. He said, man, I, I, I want you to know, Lord, I'm ready. I got all the answers. And yet his life proved that he wasn't. He failed the test. We fail the test. Man, pride is a, a monster in the church. And pride's a monster in my life, and pride's a monster in your life as well. We've got to get to the place where we humble ourselves and are willing to receive instruction and consider what we hear. Because God has some warnings for us that are actually profitable for us. Number three, the area of, of, of Peter's life where he failed again, number three, is the, the test of personal prayer. The test of personal prayer. Luke chapter 22 and verses 40 to 44, a little later in the same passage, when he was at the place, he said to them, pray that ye enter not into temptation. They're in the garden now. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and he kneeled down and prayed. This is Christ saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel from, uh, unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Okay, so listen, can you imagine being Peter? I mean, listen, you've just received the revelation that Satan is desiring to have you and to sift you as wheat. You've doubled down on your prideful statement that you will not deny Christ. Now your master is suffering in the garden. How are you going to respond to that? Would you pray with him or would you just go take a nap? Let me tell you what Peter did. He just fell asleep. Luke 22, verses 45 and 6, it says, When he rose up from prayer, when Christ rose up, he came to his disciples. He found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. He just heard the news, man, that you're going to deny Christ three times. That would have drove him to prayer. But in sorrow, he just slept. And so what we see in this passage is a, a clear distinction between the way Christ prayed and the way Peter prayed. Jesus prayed. He, the why, why Jesus prayed was because he was in agony. He was in a struggle. He was in a spiritual wrestling match. And so because he was in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And that's also how he prayed. Jesus prayed earnestly. It was intently without ceasing Peter missed the opportunity for the most powerful thing that was available to him, the power of prayer. And so get this in your notes. Prayer is a privilege, and it's powerful. And I don't think we in the 21st century really understand that. Man, we'll do a lot of things in the name of Christ. We'll do a lot of things in church. But, man, when it comes to prayer, we miss the privilege and the power. You know, in Acts chapter 12, later in, in Peter's life, when Peter was in prison, in Acts chapter 12 and verse 5, it says, Peter for, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. You see, prayer has the power to open prison doors, break chains, and give us a peace that passes all understanding. So why is it so underutilized by God's children? The least attended service of any church at any time is a prayer meeting. Statistic statistically true. 
But prayer is what Peter needed. Jesus had prayed for him, but the truth is that Peter needed to pray for himself. And he missed the opportunity. Here's another key in your notes. Look, the more we struggle, the more struggle we experience, the more time and prayer we should spend. Maybe God has your present predicament to drive you to your knees in prayer. James chapter 5 and verse 17 says, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. Listen, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. I mean, Elijah is just a homeboy like the rest of us. He experienced like passions. He lived in a time where there was a wicked ruler named King Ahab. There was a false religious system ensnaring and entrapping everyone named Baal, led by Jezebel, which was nothing more than Babylonianism. And listen, only a remnant of true worshipers existed. And yet Elijah prayed. He shows us an example The more struggle we experience, the more time in prayer we should spend. As a matter of fact, prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from God. I don't need you, God. I don't need to pray about this. I don't need to humble myself before you. I got this. That that actually sounds a lot like Peter, doesn't it? And so Peter's asleep, man. He's, He's sleeping in sorrow, but what he missed out on was peace. Because here's the third key, prayer ensures peace in our life. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Listen, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You see, many times we don't experience the peace of God because we've never spent the time in prayer to God. And we are shifting sands. We are wavering in our faith. We are sorrowful and asleep. And God never intended that for us. And so Peter failed. He's he's just not ready like he needs to be ready. Let's look at the fourth area and then we're done. The test of swordmanship. The test of swordmanship. And if you go back to verses 35 to 39, again, Peter Peter has an opportunity to to do right and to be right. Jesus said in verse 35, he said unto them, when I sent you without person, script, and shoes, lacked you anything. He's talking about early in the the earthly ministry. And they said, no, we we didn't lack anything. Then he said unto them, but now he that hath a purse, let him take it, and likewise his script. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say unto you that that this is written, that, that this... That this, that is written. There we go. Even the preacher, man, gets tongue-tied. Must be accomplished yet in me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, it's enough. And he came out, and as he went, as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, his disciples also followed him. So, So at this point in their ministry, Christ says, you need a sword. And if you don't have one, you need to go sell some stuff to get one. Okay, so that tells us very simply that a key principle is this. If we're going to get a sword, it's going to have to cost us something. And we know from the word of God that that sword is the word of God. It's the sword of the spirit, Ephesians 6 and verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the what? It's the word of God. Can I just tell you that getting a sword is going to cost you something? 
You say, well, it cost me 50 bucks. I remember I bought it at the bookstore. Yeah, you got it in your possession, but you don't have its power just because you have it in your possession. You see, getting a sword and and wielding a sword and being proficient with the spiritual weapon of God's word, well, it it takes time. It takes investment. It's going to cost you something. You know what it's going to cost you? It's going to cost you discipleship one. You're going to have to get discipled. You say, well, I'm not going to get discipled. Okay. It's probably going to be rough when you start wielding that sword. We're going to see it in just a second in Peter's life because he starts wielding it. And instead of, instead of doing what it's intended to do, it actually wounds people. You see, it's going to take D1, and it's going to take ministry tools and training, and it's going to take instruction biblically so that you can grow and mature in God's Word. Peter owns a sword, but he doesn't know how to wield the sword. Luke 22 and verse 47, while he yet spake, behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. And Jesus said to him, Judas, betrayest thou the son of man with a kiss? And they which were about him saw that they would follow. They said to him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? Is is now the time to do it? And before Christ could answer, one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, said, suffer ye thus. And he touched his ear and he healed him. You know, before Christ could even answer the question, should we smite with the sword? Someone is already coming out swinging. You want to take a guess at which God was? <laughs> John chapter 18 and verse 10. His name got recorded. Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And the servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, put up thy sword into thy sheep. Sheath the, the cup which my father hath given me. Shall I not drink it? Wait a second. I, th- I thought you told me to get a sword. I did. I just didn't tell you when to use it. Immaturity. Carnality. Pride. I'm ready. Uh, I don't know if you are. You see, You see, in Peter's life, He was focusing on what many times we focus on. He was focusing on the wrong battle. He he was focusing on the wrong battle. He was focusing on a physical battle instead of a spiritual battle. In other words, we would say it like this at this church. He was focused on the kingdom of heaven rather than the kingdom of God. Matthew 11 and verse 12 says that, that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And the violent take it by force. And, and, force, and, and the, the physical kingdom is the kingdom of heaven. Peter's ready to use force instead of submitting to suffering with his Lord and Savior. Where's the guy that was willing to die 20 verses earlier? That guy's already left. Now you got a guy with a sword that doesn't know how to use it. And what's he doing? He's chopping people up. Let me tell you that the problem with Peter, and it's the same problem with many Christians, when we, when, we, when we go to use the sword of God's word, the tendency is many times to aim for the head instead of aiming for the heart. You know, 
Peter's swing was aimed at the head. And listen, the Word of God, it can be either a skilled surgeon's instrument or it can be a savage's blade. You see, the Word of God can cause harm or it can cause hearing. And if it causes hearing, it can bring about healing. But man, Peter cut off his ear. Now you think about that, that illustration for just a second. What do you hear with? Okay, apparently all your ears got cut off. What do you hear with? You hear with your ear. And the very thing that God intended for you to hear his word with got cut off by a carnal, prideful, immature, undisciplined, undiscipled, arrogant disciple of Christ. You see, you see, there's a lot of people like Malchus walking around because prideful people like Peter failed to realize the spiritual battle, and in their pride and arrogance and laziness in prayer, by the way, they start swinging their sword. And what they do is they hurt people. And, and by the way, if you're a Malchus and you're in the room, and somebody's ill-handled the sword of God's word in your life, can I give you hope? Luke 22 and verse 51. Jesus answered and said, suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and he healed him. You see, you see there's some Malchuses probably in the room that some good old independent Baptist swung a sword at and left it chopped up. Let me make sure that you understand the distinction between aiming for your head and aiming for your heart. Because some of you would say, well, yeah, that happened to me. But the truth is, actually, God's word got a hold of your heart, and you hardened your heart. But some of you legitimately got hurt by some rel religious, zealous people. God is gracious enough and able to give you back what you need to hear his word. He, he's able to restore your ear so that you can once again hear the word of God. Romans 10 and verse 17 says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You see, before the resurrection, the death, burial, and resurrection, Peter is taking the sword and aiming for the head. But after his conversion in Acts chapter 2, after he's filled with the spirit of God, man, he's a different guy. Because when you read the book of Acts and you read how God used Peter in the book of Acts, when he preached God's word, this time, it wasn't tickling people's ears or cutting people's ears off. Acts chapter 2, verses 36 and 7 says, When Peter preached, it says they were pricked in their heart. Because that's where God's word needs to land. It needs to land in our heart. Acts chapter 5, verses 29 to 33. Again, Peter preaching. The Bible says that when he preached, verse 33, when they heard that, they were cut to the heart. Oh, by the way, their response wasn't repentance. They took counsel to kill Peter. So just because it lands in the heart doesn't mean the, the right repentance is there. The point is, just because you have head knowledge of God's word doesn't give you a proper hermeneutic. It, it doesn't make you efficient in God's word. It doesn't make you a skilled surgeon using God's word. Judges chapter 8, this, this is not in your notes, but it's worth writing down. Judges 8 verses 20 to 21 there's an illustration, there's a story about an enemy of Israel in the time of Gideon. 
And this enemy needed to be slayed. And Judges 8 and verse 20, they said unto Jether, his firstborn, up and slay these men, these, these enemies. But the Bible says the youth drew not his sword, for he feared, because he was yet a youth. Then Zeba and Zalmunna said, Rise thou and fall upon us. These are the enemies. They said, Rise thou and fall on us, for as the man is, so is his strength. In other words, these, these enemies had been captured, and the instruction was, okay, they need to be destroyed. They need to be dealt with. But these young men that had swords, man, they were fearful. And by the way, the enemy said, hey, don't let those dudes chop up on us. I mean, if you're going to kill us, get somebody that actually knows how to use a sword. And so the Bible says Gideon arose, and he slew him. Because as the man is, so is his strength. You've got to grow in your maturity in the Word of God to be an effective minister. Man, there, there are Christians that are so spiritually young that they don't even unsheath God's Word in life situations. There are young men and women that are so spiritually immature that they don't open God's Word to share the gospel. What God wants today is the Gideons. I mean, where are the Gideons that have the strength to take the Word of God and do precisely what it's intended to do? To bring healing and to bring restoration and to land in our heart so that we can know God and repent. So the question on the table is, are you ready? Are you ready to be used of Christ in his ministry? And, and if you say you're ready... There's four areas we have to examine in our life. Number one, do you realize the spiritual battle in your life? For some of you, you need to realize that the devil right now is working against you, not wanting you to hear this message, not wanting you to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, because the reality is some of you need to be saved this morning. And listen, I'm thankful at the age of 21, my best friend in college asked me some really hard questions about my eternal standing before the Lord. I'm thankful that as a 21-year-old young man in college, my best friend had enough boldness in the Lord to ask me some things that were very uncomfortable. And it made me realize, man, I'm a sinner, and I'm separated from God. And it's only through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary that I could be reconciled back to God. He asked me, man, Jay, when you die, where are you going to spend eternity? I was like, well, I don't know. And at that point, as a 21-year-old young man, I knew that heaven was real. I believed it. I believed hell was real. I believed there was a God. I even believed historically that the story of Jesus was real, even though I wasn't there. But as it related to me getting to that eternal destination, I had no clue. And he took his Bible and he showed me. And the truth is, I had an ear to hear. Someone spiritually challenged me that I needed to consider my sin and how that separates me from God and how that Christ died for my sin. And through his finished work, I could be restored to God and have a relationship and be forgiven of my sin. Some of you this morning, you need to heed that. You need to have ears to hear that because there's a spiritual battle at hand. 
Secondly, do you walk in humility? Are you teachable? Can you receive instruction from spiritual leaders? You say, man, yeah, I'll receive that from Jesus all day long. What about the the discipler that God has in your life? What about the pastor that God has in your life? What about the worship leader that, that God has in your life? Would you be able to receive instruction from your spiritual leaders? Do you walk in humility? Or do you have the, the problem Peter had? Do you have pride? Do you prioritize prayer? You say, man, yeah, I pray all the time. Okay, awesome, good. Come out at, at Wednesday night at 6.30 so you can pray corporately. Because Wednesday night prayer is a great place to learn how to pray, and it's also a great place to pray. And a body that prays together, well, there's just something powerful about that. It's biblical. And then lastly, how do you yield your sword? Man, are you efficient and proficient in the Word of God? Or does your swordsmanship lack a little bit? If it does, you need some training so that God can use you mightily. And listen, I don't know where your heart is this morning, but I know this. I'm just like Peter. I've been that guy. Man, I'll never let you down, Lord. And then like 30 minutes later, oh, crap. That's in the Greek somewhere, I think. <laughs> God, you gave me this sword, and the next thing I know, man, I'm, I'm aiming for heads instead of hearts. And there's some Malchuses walking around because of me. My prayer is that God, through his grace, has restored them. Man, whatever it is in your life, I know that God wants us to grow and he wants us to move forward and he wants to use us in ministry just like he did Peter. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we love you this morning. God, our time is gone, but I thank you so much, Lord, for your word.